0: lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play
1: with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case?
0: Download June's Journey for free
1: today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Soon after Mark Van Dongen ended his relationship with Berlina Wallace, she would lure him back to her home under the guise of reconciliation. However, that evening while Mark was asleep, Berlina poured sulfuric acid on his face and body. The burns Mark suffered from the attack left him critically injured with pain that would prove to be unbearable. Was Berlina responsible for Mark's dark fate, and would justice ultimately be served in this case? This is episode 42, The Berlina-Wallace Story.
0: Again. Hey Amy, how
1: are you? Good, how are you today? I'm good. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Danielle Kolbosaki for her
0: help with the research on today's episode. Thanks Danielle. And Amy, as a reminder to our listeners, this is our second of four UK episodes, The Case of Berlina Wallace. Thanks to support from Acorn TV, we're able to bring you four extra episodes of Women in Crime this month, with cases all originating from the UK. We want to thank ACORN for the support, and if you happen to also like British crime dramas and mysteries, we encourage you to check out ACORN's streaming service. You get to try it out for one month free when you use our promo code WOMEN. Just go to acorn.tv to redeem the code. You'll also be helping out the show. This special UK edition of Women in Crime is just
1: one case of a type of attack that has become an epidemic in the UK. And Megan, this is one that is going to really stick with you. I know. We don't know that much about Berlina Wallace, but what we do know is that she emigrated to the UK from South Africa. And although little has been published about her childhood, I read some reports that she had suffered abuse, that she gave birth to a child when she was just 14 years old. Later, her boyfriend had passed away, and then her son had died several years later. Berlina was the victim in a brutal gang rape when she was around 20 years old before she came to the UK. At the time of the incident that we're discussing today, Berlina was 48 years of age, and she was a part-time fashion student at the University of West of England in Bristol in the United Kingdom. It's unclear if she was employed at the time or even what her previous work history was. People that knew Berlina say that she often had trouble controlling her emotions, and she was often an angry person. If her history is true, I kind of don't blame her. But there were reports of depression and anxiety, but I'm not sure if she was medicated or seeking professional help. Berlina met Mark Van Dongen, who was in his early 20s at the time, in 2010. The two met through a dating website for people who were living with HIV. Despite the nearly 20-year age gap, they hit it off, and some say that Mark was inspired by Berlina and really comforted knowing that she had been living with HIV for more than 20 years. She had allegedly contracted the virus as a result of this sexual assault that she had endured back in South Africa. I think Berlina made Mark feel hopeful since he had been more recently diagnosed. He reportedly contracted the virus from an ex-girlfriend. At the time the two met online, Mark was living in the Netherlands, that's where he was born, However, he often made trips to see her in Bristol. After about a year of dating, Mark actually moved in with Berlina, and things were pretty serious between the two. He soon got a high-paying job as an engineer in the construction business, and he was the main breadwinner in the home. The two seemed like a normal couple. They traveled together, they had an active social life, and they often traveled to visit his family in Berlin. Mark was actually very close with his father, Keyes, also known as Cornelius van Dongen. Although things seemed to be going well for the two, it didn't take long for the honeymoon stage to end and for things to take a turn in their relationship. There were many reports of abuse and violence in the relationship, often at the hands of Berlina. In fact, I didn't see any reports of Mark ever being abusive. The only mention of violent tendencies by Mark at all was from Berlina herself. By all accounts, Berlina called the shots in their relationship and she was very controlling. According to Mark, she would often hide his passport so he couldn't travel. She would pick fights about small things and she often accused him of cheating on her, although there was absolutely no indication that this was in fact the truth. One incident between the two was particularly violent and this was about a year before the incident that we're talking about today. Berlina had thrown boiling water at Mark. He says she had been upset with him about something that he could not recall.
0: Wow. So you're kind of saying that she threw boiling water on him in response to an incident so trivial that he couldn't even remember it?
1: Exactly. And I think that that was the point he said that she often picked fights about very trivial things that he couldn't even recall. At the time, he had told medical professionals that it was an accident, but he later admitted or he later revealed what had actually occurred, that she was angry and she threw it at him. So I'm not sure if he was trying to protect her or
0: if he was maybe embarrassed about the situation. It could have been both. Mm -hmm. I mean, in domestic situations, when you're experiencing domestic abuse or violence, it's often both. You're absolutely right.
1: Mark also said Berlina would hit herself in the face and said that if he left her, she would call the police and say that he had hit her and injured her. Although male-on-female violence is more common, we know that abuse can be at the hands of anyone. It's not typical for it to be at the hands of a female.
0: It's more typical now. It's just, It just wasn't revealed as much earlier now. So it's it, it certainly, we know a hell of a lot more than we did. You're right. And
1: I think the reason for that is most men would feel embarrassed or shameful and they would not report. So the numbers were a bit skewed. But based on the numbers, it's about one in seven women and one in 25 men who report being injured by an intimate partner. But again, that number is likely much higher.
0: People don't report for various reasons. Yep. Typically, female on
1: male violence, again, this only makes up less than 10% when including sexual violence, but this type of violence in a relationship is often characterized as self-defense or retaliation. But of course, there could be other motives as well, such as anger or the need for attention, which I think was probably going on here because there is nobody that could corroborate Berlina's claims that Mark was ever abusive at all. As we often see in these kinds of relationships, they often broke up and then they got back together. And he said he would go back to her because he felt really sorry for her. Mm. So they would break up. She would call him hysterical. He would go back. Even Mark's family and friends were really concerned about their relationship. He had confided in a few people that he was scared of Berlina and that she was quite abusive to him. And I think this is great for him because most men do not talk about their victimization at the hands of a woman, especially. So I really give him credit for being able to be that strong of a person. Right. He allegedly had shown friend scratches on him that were inflicted by Berlina. Even Mark's father said that he suspected that the relationship was a bit one-sided and he believed that his son loves her much more than she loved him. knows what goes on in relationships this is all just based on what people are telling us yeah
0: but there are multiple uh, multiple reports from his friends who he confided in and they've seen scratches and marks you know that's that's something more than saying well i thought the relationship was one-sided i mean yep you're absolutely documenting documenting something here
1: yep but when i say who really knows it is of course possible that she was being being abused too She seemed to be taking advantage of him financially as well, which is also a big part of domestic violence relationships. We see that. She was not only living off his earnings, but she was also sending money to her family in South Africa. And this was potentially without his consent or awareness. The two finally separated for good in the summer of 2015. For reasons unknown, perhaps he finally had the strength to leave or maybe his family and friends, you know, were urging him to leave. Shortly after, he began seeing another woman named Violet. She was also about 20 years his senior. Okay, so he has a type. He does have a type, yes. At the beginning of the relationship, he was still living with Berlina, but the two were no longer romantically involved, and he would soon move out and... At one point, he was living in a hotel, and then he moved in with his new girlfriend. Just a few days after he left, Berlina had overdosed, or so she said. She had called him saying that, you know, she had overdosed. And this was possibly a suicide attempt, or it could have just been a cry for
0: attention. Again, typical behavior of a person in an abusive relationship when a partner tries to leave. I was going to say, this is fitting a very, very specific pattern here, and it's very manipulative. Yep. In fact, in domestic violent cases, threats of separation by their partner
1: or actual separations were often the most precipitating events that led to a murder. Yep, definitely. A victim's reasons for staying with their abusers are always complex. And in most cases, they are based on the reality that their abusers were going to follow through with the threats that they give. So we can't blame Mark that he ends up going back. She wanted him to come back home and there was a back and forth. Berlina denies that this ever happened, and she claims she was just upset because she wouldn't be able to afford the flat they shared without his financial support. Regardless of whose story you believe, things were not going well. On August 23rd, 2015, Berlina sent a number of harassing text messages to Mark and also had called his girlfriend Violet several times and hung up. Mark responded very kindly, and he was clearly trying to calm her down. The text messages were something like, we were together for five years. Let's, you know, let's do this peacefully. I'll support you financially. He was really trying to play nice and she was very angry. It's also unclear. was he trying to just appease her or was he under her control? It, you know, it's, it's unknown what was really going on. But about a week later, Mark ended up calling the police and reported her for harassment. She was given a warning by the police to stop contacting Mark and Violet. Berlina denied the harassment and said that she felt very humiliated and very disappointed that Mark would call the police on her. This would also turn out to be the day that she ordered a liter of 98% concentrated sulfuric acid from Amazon. I don't think it's a coincidence. Nope. The next day, Berlina would contact a mental health crisis line for help, and then she overdosed again, and this time she was taken to the hospital, so this one was verified. I could not find many details of this event. I do know that she stayed for about a day at the hospital and then she was released. Now, was this another cry for help? Was this a serious suicide attempt? I don't know. When she was released, she claimed that Mark called her and expressed his love for her and he said he wanted to reconcile. She says he was begging for her to get back with him.
0: I mean, did he feel guilty? Did this really happen? I'm sure that he felt guilty in some way. sounded like a very decent person. And so I'm sure he felt sorry for her, Mm -hmm. if not, you know, guilty, at least badly about, you know, someone who he had loved.
1: I do wonder if he was begging for her to get back with him, though.
0: I don't know. From what you've told me right now, I I don't see that. But, you know, no way to know what happened there.
1: In the weeks that followed, Berlina conducted over 80 Internet searches of sulfuric acid, which included the effects of drinking acid, the damage it could cause if thrown at someone, pictures of acid victims, and research the case of Katie Piper. Do you know about the case of Katie Piper?
0: She was a a model or a TV host um, and someone I I knew had thrown acid in her face too. It was
1: a very high profile case in the UK. In March of 2008, she was attacked with acid by her ex-boyfriend and an accomplice. And this caused major damage to her face and blindness in one eye. Now, she's very vocal about what happened to her. There's been documentaries, autobiography. Around this time, Berlina received that bottle of acid she had ordered from Amazon that I mentioned earlier. When she received the bottle, she removed the warning label.
0: Oh, yeah. The warning label,
1: which stated, acid causes severe
0: burns and eye damage. I mean, I'm just seeing a case for serious premeditation here, but go ahead. Yep, and
1: the evidence piles on. Yeah. Yeah. On September 23rd, 2015, Berlina and Mark had plans to have dinner together at Berlina's home. However, there is mixed information about that night. Other reports say that Berlina lured Mark to her flat using emotional manipulation, possibly as a result of an email or phone call exchange between them, which included a hysterical Berlina begging Mark to come see her and threatening to harm herself until he agreed.
0: Based on what we know about their relationship, I'm leaning towards the latter. I'd lean towards that as well, especially because you're talking about a woman who's been researching um, the effects of this type of thing. It doesn't sound like they're in a reconciling stage. As we often see in these kinds of cases, you have two versions of an event. Of course, yeah. But either way, what is
1: clear is that he did go to the apartment that night. They did have a fight, not sure what it was about. And then he spent the night there. Berlina had allegedly left to go to a hotel. Because remember, the two were separated. I don't know exactly how it played out. But perhaps she said, you stay here and I'll go to a hotel. Around 3 a.m., while Mark was asleep in bed, he was awoken by the sound of Berlina laughing while saying, if I can't have you, no one can. She then threw a cup of liquid at him. Megan, this was not just any liquid. It was sulfuric acid, which immediately started burning Mark's skin. By his account, he then began screaming for help and ran into the street. He says he was blind at this point and in excruciating pain. Several neighbors heard his loud cries and ran out to a gruesome scene, and many of these neighbors ended up testifying at trial. I don't want to be too graphic here, but neighbors said that his face was literally melting. And he was missing an eye, he was missing an ear, and his nose was no longer part of his face. Oh my God. Yeah, he was unrecognizable. He was blind. He was screaming. They call the paramedics. You can hear the call online, and you can hear Mark's agonizing screams in the background. And kudos to the, to the neighbor who made this call. He sounded so calm and composed, and I can only imagine with this situation Mark ended up going into a neighbor's home and, you know, a bunch of the people on the scene put him under running water. They knew, I guess, someone knew what to do and they immediately got him under cold running water. Luckily, Mark was able to tell his neighbors who his attacker was and they would later inform the police. And that's amazing that he's in this state and had the wherewithal to be able to even form that thought to tell people who had done this to him. Also, on the way to the hospital... He was asked who carried out the attack, and he replied Berlina and also pointed to a tattoo of her name that was on his stomach. Mark was in critical condition, with burns covering over 25% of his body, with much of his face and upper body bearing the brunt of the attack. He was sedated and underwent many surgeries. Meanwhile, police went to Berlina's home, where they found her sitting on her couch, looking quite dazed. On the bed that Mark was sleeping was the burned sheets, and you can see pictures of these online. It's a light-colored sheet with burn marks all over it. They took Berlina in, and the next morning they questioned her. She told police that Mark was abusive to her and that he tried to attack her, and while in a violent struggle, she had grabbed what she thought was a cup of water and threw it at him. She claimed that she had no idea that it was a cup of acid. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. In fact, Megan, she said that Mark had filled the cup with acid because he usually prepared a glass of water for her at night. So she started implying that he was trying to kill her. Even though she bought the acid. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um, I guess she did not realize that they know how to look at internet history. I was going to say, yeah, computer check, Amazon history, purchase, fingerprints, everything. And she just kept changing her
1: story because at some point, she may have realized that they knew about her purchasing the acid. And she said, Oh yes, I'm an I'm a fashion student and it was for distressing clothes, you know, like how people acid wash jeans. Oh for goodness sakes. Okay. Yeah, I don't even know if those are in style. Or whatever. That's not No, but I, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Know like the... it's it's just it's just ridiculous. Luckily the police also thought this was all bullshit. Oh, side note, Megan, not only did she neglect to help Mark or call for help, because she's not the one who dialed nine nine nine, because in that country it's nine nine nine, she allegedly called a friend after the attack.
0: Um I don't know, even know where to go with that. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say. I I'm so The reason I'm shocked is because I obviously know she planned this, but you would not know what the effects of acid were going to be. Intellectually, you'll know, but when you describe what happened to him and him screaming and burning, I can't imagine that there was zero response from her yeah. unless she just completely... I was
1: going to say she could have just gone into shock, shut down, disassociated. She disassociated. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's what I'm thinking, but... Uh, or, or unless she truly just didn't care.
1: Which is possible. Okay. As the judge would later say, this was, quote, an act of pure evil.
0: I mean, yeah. Agree. It's hard to disagree with that.
1: Berlina was charged with throwing a corrosive substance with intent and was held in custody pending her trial. Let's go back to Mark for a moment. His condition was critical. He spent 11 months in intensive care. For the first three months, he was in a coma and unable to communicate at all. After four months, he started to be able to communicate by sticking out his tongue while viewing a letter board. He was then moved to a burn unit where he sustained many operations and skin graft procedures. Megan, he received so many skin grafts that it ended up being that over 40% of his body was covered in either burns or grafts. So devastating. Devastating. He was severely scarred, paralyzed from the neck down.
0: Oh my God. His
1: left leg had to be amputated because of restricted blood supply. He had lost one eye and the other was barely functional. This is really awful. It's awful. I feel terrible. Yeah. He was on several drugs for the pain, which were described as unbearable even when heavily medicated. And he was given the strongest opioids available. During the course of his hospitalization, he also suffered several infections in various parts of his body. His kidneys and bowels were also severely injured. And one of his biggest complaints was the constant itching, which was intolerable most of the time. This really sounds like a living hell because he is paralyzed, but he still feels these sensations all this over his body. This is unbearable. Yeah. A consultant who worked with the hospital stated that they had never seen a case so severe with regard to injuries following a chemical attack. He also suffered intense psychological trauma, mainly depression and PTSD.
0: As expected.
1: Yeah. Throughout all of this, his father did not leave his side for four months. Eventually, his father had to return to work, and he was only there on weekends, but his father was really there for him throughout this whole thing. And if you listen to this victim impact statement, you will really hear him describe in great detail what the, what it was like caring for his son. It is heart-wrenching. Mm. I'm not going to read the victim impact statement, but I do want to just read one sentence where he describes his son as a loving, gentle man, someone who is too good for this world. Oh. At one point, Mark had a lung infection, which landed him back in the ICU. So this required him to have a tube placed in his throat and into his chest to drain the liquid buildup. This was a huge setback because he had finally regained his voice through the use of a speaking valve. And that was really his only link to his father and his only way of communicating. And the tube prevented the valve placement and therefore rendered him speechless. After about a year in the hospital, he was finally transferred to a long-term care house but Mark was having a very difficult time there. He was in excruciating pain consistently and wasn't getting the care he needed. At this point, Mark and his family decided that he should be moved to Belgium. That way he'd be closer to his family and they believed he'd be able to get better care there. After several medical consultations, it was clear that Mark would remain paralyzed for the rest of his life. And of course, when he was told this news, it was crushing for him. All of these setbacks at this point contributed to Mark's decision to apply for euthanasia. Wow. Euthi- I, 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 yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised here. Yeah. So in case some of our listeners don't know, euthanasia refers to the active steps taken to end someone's life, to stop their suffering, and this quote-unquote final deed is often undertaken by someone other than the individual, for example, a doctor. In Mark's case, if the person has requested this, it falls under the term voluntary euthanasia. This differs from assisted suicide because assisted suicide is about helping someone take their
0: own life at their request. In
1: other words, the quote-unquote final deed is undertaken by
0: the person themselves. So Dr. Kevorkian would qualify under assisted suicide. He was acquitted three or four times of assisted suicide, but in all those cases, it was the person who took the final steps his conviction that he sustained in the 1990s was for someone where he took the final step and he filmed it and sent it to the police. His problem was he just couldn't stay quiet, yeah. but um.
1: yeah. So euthanasia is not that common. There are a few countries that permit it, such as the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada, and Colombia, and I believe Switzerland. Some of these countries allow some form of euthanasia or assisted suicide, but the permitted circumstances vary greatly. It's used quite often in certain places such as the Netherlands, where there have been over 6,500 cases of voluntary euthanasia, which is over 4% of the total number of deaths. Isn't okay. that interesting? Yeah. Assisted suicide is more widely available than euthanasia. That makes sense. There's even a number of U.S. states, including California, Colorado, Hawaii, New Jersey, Oregon, Washington State, Vermont, and the District of Columbia. These states all have some laws that permit assisted suicide. Do you remember the case of Brittany Maynard in 2014?
0: She had a brain tumor, correct? Something yes. like that. And she wanted to terminate her life and she had to like relocate. Yeah. That's what I remember. So
1: sad. Her and her husband moved to Oregon where assisted death was legal at the time. She had lived in California. Now they have assisted death depending on you know the terminology changes. She was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and instead of suffering with the side effects, she wanted to choose how and when and where she would die. And after- her death, her family continues to try and get assisted death laws passed in all 50 states. And they've had some really good movement with that. Now, back to the UK, euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal. So I think part of the reason that the family decided to move him is because they were aware of the euthanasia laws. Right. I'm sure. In fact, the UK takes euthanasia very seriously, and it could lead to a murder charge and could result in a sentence of up to 14 years in prison. It wasn't until after incurring another lung infection that Mark really started to seriously consider ending his life. Treatment for this infection would prohibit his speech yet again. This would be the third time that he would lose his ability to talk. And this time he was told that there was a high likelihood, over 95% chance that he would never regain the ability to talk again.
0: So he's going to be paralyzed and not able to speak for life. I mean. Correct. You know. This is a worse than any prison sentence. This is horrible. Yeah.
1: And furthermore, they informed him that if he didn't treat the infection, in other words, if he chose to keep his voice, then he would only be able to live a few days to a few weeks at most. But it would be a terrible, drawn-out death through asphyxia. He was visited by consultants for a review of his condition, and they concluded that he met the criteria for euthanasia under Belgium law. The criteria says that it is appropriate if a patient is legally competent, Okay. the request is voluntary and not a result of any outside pressure, Okay. the patient is in a medically futile condition of constant and unbearable suffering that cannot be alleviated. So far, he's I mean, fitting these. Yeah, I don't see those not going to meet any of these criteria, but go ahead. It's also noted that the physician must alert the patient to alternatives such as therapeutic or palliative care, and together they must decide that there are no other alternatives for the patient. The physician also must be certain of the patient's condition and severity of their condition and must consult with other physicians to make that call. Lastly, they must allow a minimum of one month between a patient's request and the act of euthanasia. I think that's a good amount of time to make sure someone's really sure. I think the
0: timing is right there, and I think that there should be competency, but I actually don't. Um, believe that all those conditions should have to be satisfied because I do believe in one's right to choose, life or not, more so.
1: As I mentioned, there are different criteria depending on what jurisdiction you're in. I think their criteria is a little stricter than some of the other ones. Mm -hmm. According to the team of experts, this was a case of unbearable physical and psychological suffering. And as his father recounted in his victim impact statement, Mark pleaded with his family, I suffered so much pain and I cannot take any more. Please let me go. So with his family by his side, Mark died at 7.15 p.m. on January 2nd, 2017. If you recall, Berlina was initially charged with throwing a corrosive fluid with intent for pouring the acid over Mark, which caused the catastrophic injuries. Now, after he was euthanized, the charges were then altered to include murder. Right. This is where things get very interesting from a legal standpoint. At the first trial in November of 2017, the defense successfully argued that the facts could not and did not amount to murder. Now, they persuaded the trial judge that the injuries resulting from his client's conduct were not in law the cause of the death. In other words, the defense argued that there was no link between Berlina's actions and Mark's death. Her lawyer actually said that the doctors in Belgium are the one that killed him, not her, which I think is- being literal. Which he is, and of course we have to be literal when we apply the law a lot of times, but I just felt that this was disrespectful to the family. I don't know.
0: It's icky. It's very icky. It's very
1: icky. The prosecution appealed this decision and the court of appeals in a groundbreaking ruling disagreed and directed a retrial with a jury. A huge point of contention and debate was the question of whether- Berlina should be charged with murder or manslaughter. Manslaughter in the UK is defined as murder without premeditation. Now this was clearly premeditated. However, you have to look at causation. Mm -hmm. Is there a direct causal link between what happened? Now we know that Berlina attacked Mark with acid and as a result, he applied for euthanasia to escape the severe physical and psychological trauma that left him with a low quality of life and obviously immense pain and suffering. So this, according to experts, could not be alleviated through the use of medicine. So this is the but-for argument. Okay. And we use the same analysis in our legal system. Mm-hmm. This is where they try to determine if it weren't for this, that wouldn't have happened. This is commonly used in the law to determine what actions actually cause the harm in question. So this analysis is really but for the throwing of acid, Mr. Van Dongen would not have taken his own life. I agree. It makes perfect sense, right? The prosecution appealed this decision, and the Court of Appeals, in a groundbreaking ruling, disagreed and directed a retrial with a jury. The jury trial began in early 2018. And guess who took the stand? Berlina. Berlina took the stand. She was going to get up there and claim to be a victim? She sure is. Not only is she going to claim to be a victim, she is going to tell yet another story about the purchase of this acid. Now she tells the jury that she bought the liquid to clean out the drains. And she dismissed the allegation that she intended to use it to harm him as nonsense. So in other words, she said it was nonsense that anyone would ever think she'd want to harm Mark.
0: Why did she ultimately, what was her explanation for why she threw it on him? Self-defense. Oh, okay. So she tells the jury that, yes, I could be mouthy and I could be nasty
1: with Mark. And she would call him nasty names and she would even scratch and bite him and throw things at him. Saying she regretted the way she acted but that Mark had hit, kicked, and racially abused her and cheated on her with another woman. She said Mark was verbally and physically abusive towards her. She says, he called me names. He was racist, offensive. He attacked my family, and I found this very hurtful. When asked why she stayed with him, this is where her voice broke a little, and she said, I loved him, and I had no one in this country. Mark was my family. At one point, the hearing actually had to be delayed because she collapsed in sobs. When the trial resumed, she says... She tried to kill herself, and she says she wanted to die.
0: But she's alive.
1: But she is alive, and Mark is not alive. Yeah.
0: And, you know, this one's tough, too, because I am sympathetic to the fact that she may have been highly victimized as a child. And I'm very sympathetic to, obviously, a woman being sexually assaulted and and a gang rape. I mean, these are really Like, I really want to be sympathetic, but I'm just, I I, I can't, I can't.
1: And on the stand, she did talk about how she was abused as a child by her mother and stepfather. She did talk about the gang rape. So she talked about her past as well. After about 15 and a half hours of deliberation, the jury, which was 10 men and two women, came back with a unanimous verdict and they agreed with the defense. And Berlina Wallace was acquitted of both murder and manslaughter.
0: What was she found guilty of?
1: Throwing corrosive fluid with intent.
0: Okay, was, there was no charge for, okay, um, there was no attempted murder?
1: So there we have the verdict. Now let's move to sentencing before we talk about if we think this was a fair outcome. The sentencing was not at all clear cut. No one had ever been sentenced to life in prison for an acid attack in the UK before. And there was little precedent to rely on. And the sentencing guidelines were not really applicable. The best they could do was refer to the guidelines relating to assault. Now, I don't
0: like where this is going, but okay. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned why not attempted murder. Yeah. And historically speaking with acid attacks, which we'll dive into a little bit, acid attacks are typically not intended to kill. They're just intended to disfigure or harm in other ways. So I think it was it would be a stretch for them legally to try to make that claim. I'm not saying I agree with that. That's just my understanding of how the law would be applied. Okay. The court found that life imprisonment was really the only acceptable outcome. Um, And this was considering her previous history of violence, especially towards Mark, the premeditation and the fact that she lied to police to avoid being held responsible for what happened. In the sentencing remarks, the court found her actions to be intentional and that she had tried to disfigure Van Doggen so he would be unattractive for other women. Additionally, the judge pointed out that she did not try to help him while he was in pain and instead she sat inside, called a friend while he ran outside for help. The judge further explored her past history of abuse and violence by bringing up a meeting that she had with a counselor in 2003, where she told the counselor that she was often physically violent with people and would threaten and intimidate them. In conclusion, the judge found her actions to be premeditated, sadistic, malicious, and callous.
0: The laughing part indicates, (laughs) just so you know, a hint of sadism to me, which I was thinking. And so sadistic, I mean, you know, the... I enjoy inflicting pain on people, or I I enjoy inflicting pain on people, or I enjoy seeing people hurt, that bothers me. The judge points out a half a dozen factors of why she
1: believes that Berlina is dangerous. So she's talking about, you know, the deliberation, the premeditation, you know, the lack of care and concern after, the anger, just the evidence that shows her to be manipulative and controlling and, you know, dishonest. Highly dangerous person, I would say. Ultimately, Wallace was sentenced to life in prison, which sounds great, but with the possibility of parole after twelve years. That's the part that's not great. <laughs> well, you th- I want to add to that: she was given credit for the nine hundred and seventy-two days that she spent in custody,
0: also, so it's even less than twelve years. Uh, that's the same here, though. Everyone's given custody.
1: I know. But I- I'm sorry. I'm just, everyone's yeah.
0: given the credit for custody. It's less, but yeah. But that's the yeah. same. Yeah. No, I-, I don't.
1: I don't think that's a bad policy that just lessens her sentence. Right. So, Megan. She's up for release in 2027. That's six years from now. Okay, well, first of all, I don't like that. I'm sorry, you want to keep going before I... The only thing I... I have a few more things, but the only thing I want to say for that part is that this was the first time in the UK that someone had been jailed for life for an asset attack. So this was really, you know, setting precedent. Well, I like
0: that precedent Mm -hmm. because I think the attack you've described is so much worse than someone who carries out most murders. So... I agree. And that's a nice segue. I want
1: to talk a little bit about acid attacks, which are on the, which have been on the rise in the UK in the last decade or so. And it's very interesting to look at why these acid attacks are not carried out in the US compared to the UK. I mean, this could be a result of a crackdown on guns and knives. We know that, um, you know, especially guns in the UK, their gun laws are very different than ours.
0: But there was a crackdown on knife violence, I remember, as well. Um, So I bet when they were cracking down and searching people, this Mm -hmm. became an alternative.
1: Yeah. Also, I think an acid attack, the intention of the attacker is not, it could be to, you know, cause severe bodily harm and death. But it's often used to humiliate rather than to kill the victim. So we see it a lot in domestic violence cases when someone wants to disfigure, you know, their victim.
0: You've seen that documentary, Crazy Love, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I did not. S- okay. I mean, that's a, this is literally the case of that happening. But after um, he, the man disfigured his ex-girlfriend and got out of prison 10 years later, they got married. Oh, yes. You told me about that. Yes. Yes. I, I was shocked at it. But anyway.
1: So the increase in acid attacks in the UK that I mentioned So there's about 500 reported crimes of this type, but these numbers are underreported, as we know, because they're often involved in domestic disputes. And unlike in other countries where 80% of acid attacks are against women, in the UK, most victims are men.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Any idea why? I have the answer, but I'm curious if... Because they're man-on-man gang violence.
1: (laughs) Megan, you're so smart. So gang disputes are used to blame for many. So going back to the fact that you can't carry a firearm or a knife, what are you gonna use as a weapon? That's- and although the law is changing, it's not a crime to carry around these corrosive substances. So right. if someone got stopped, also if you're gonna attack someone with acid, often you're blinding them. They won't be able to identify you. Mm-hmm. It's a quick, there's no DNA, there's no anything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also a way for people to harm someone without being in their space. So it's a way to like dissociate from the crime. You just chuck it and walk away and you can very quickly almost feel like you didn't do anything. Right. So accessibility is a really big issue in the UK because acids are easily purchased online and common household chemicals like bleach are easily weaponized. You know, they sell a lot of these acids in like the corner store. One of the biggest reasons for this trend is the ease at which people can get their hands on these acids, and other common household chemicals that are easily weaponized. So what you're saying is they're pretty accessible to the public. Exactly. As a result of this attack and many others involving sulfuric acid, the British government has been making laws around buying these acids stricter, and they have put forth actions so that buying any acid over 15% concentration would actually require a license. So this is a step in the right direction. I don't think they're there yet, but there's- No, movement. but
0: they're they're awake on the problem.
1: I agree. Globally, we see the highest number of these types of cases in South Asia, with the UK not far behind. The global nature of the problem of acid-based violence has been well documented, and it's not confined to particular regions, religions, or cultures. The causes and characteristics of these kinds of cases vary widely, with significant age and gender differences depending on what
0: country you're in. I was going to say gender inequalities, I bet, are going to play a very big role in this this type of crime. You see that in South Asia a lot. Okay. An estimated 90% of global burn
1: injuries occur in developing countries that have huge social and economic instability. All right, Megan. Did the system get this right? Should she have been charged with murder? What do you think? Yes.
0: You think so? Yes. Hands down, yes. Yes. OK, I don't know if there's even a crime that's worse than murder, but I would say this is so much worse than a typical murder. I know I don't, uh, though a life a, a life sentence in prison is appropriate. Um, and though I don't and I don't believe that she'll get parole. I, I really do, I would like to believe that she wouldn't. The the option to get parole that early just does not seem appropriate to me. And I don't think no, I just I, I don't think it's enough.
1: Oh, I agree. I do not think her sentence is long enough. As far as the charge, I understand looking at the legal definition why murder is a bit of a stretch because it's hard for them to prove that she was intending to kill him or seriously harm him by throwing the acid on him. Although... But she did. For me, she did. She did. Yeah. So it's like, that's what happened. But we know that it's all about mens rea. All around, this case is tragic. Mark's family has been destroyed Mark's father has talked about how his marriage was destroyed. He's in financial ruins. He's now on a lot of medication, seeking professional help, and just a shell of himself. There was a GoFundMe type of crowdsourcing set up for the family at one point, but that's no longer up.
0: I'm going to say that I, again, I disagreed with the sentence. Specific to Berlina, she's very highly dangerous and will always be highly dangerous. I don't know that she will even age out of crime, to be honest. Well, she's
1: already older.
0: She is already older, but I don't believe, I believe the aging out of crime might not. I just see very severe red flags with her. And I think you're going to be looking at lifelong persistent antisocial behavior with her. So I do believe that, you know, a long prison sentence would be appropriate. I'm glad to hear that. You know, there's a little that the government is, you know, they're a little bit awake now on mm-hmm. this issue and they're starting to make regulations. But yeah, I mean, this is a, a very troubling situation. <laughs> any, a very troubling case. Any theories come to mind that can explain Berlina's behavior? You no, know, I was thinking about that the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, without knowing everything about yeah. her history, it's hard. I mean, yeah. she has real antisocial traits, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, serious. She has serious anger problems. So without getting like old technical theory, yeah. She has serious anger, for which I'm not saying she doesn't have some reason, but she obviously has very unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yeah, that's what I was um, thinking. And okay. so I, I don't know that I would apply a specific theory here, because I see a couple things at work here, which is an mm-hmm. inability to manage her anger yep. um, for you know things that may have happened to her. Yeah. And I do see antisocial traits for sure.
1: Yeah. I definitely think there was personality disorder, mental health issues that were exacerbated yeah. by the threat of Mark leaving her. Yes, absolutely. And that was kind of that straw that broke the camel's so that was back the strain. That was
0: the stressor for her. I hate to say
1: strain because you always call me out on everything falling under strain theory, but it does seem like well, she
0: definitely lacked proper coping mechanisms. And she was about to lose something that she, she thought was, you know, she couldn't minimize the couldn't. Um, importance of it. So yeah, that probably is appropriate. And as
1: someone who was controlling and she, you know, Mark Angry. leaving and Mark leaving her was a threat to her financial situation, her livelihood, her family's, livelihood potentially. Just the fact that she wasn't remorseful and she didn't own up to what she did. I don't want to ever see her get out of prison.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And these are the anti like a lot of the antisocial traits that you're talking about. The lack of remorse denial, blaming the victim like these are, you know, traits. All right, Amy. Well, I have to say this was a really difficult case and I am really sorry for Mark's family and the people around him who were affected by this tragedy. We'd also like to thank Acorn TV for sponsoring this special UK edition of Women in Crime. Don't forget to try your 30 days free at www.acorn.tv when you use promo code WOMEN. Thank you
1: all for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in
0: Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash crime.
1: Sources for today's episode include The Guardian, The Bristol Post, The Daily Record, BBC, The Washington Post, NPR, Judiciary.UK, Daily Mail, The Acid Survivors Trust International, and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Seeking the truth never gets old.